Wine Work and Passion is brought to you by the Napa Valley Wine Academy, America's premier wine school and two-time winner of the WSET Global Wine Educator of the Year Award. You can find a course that's right for you at NapaValleyWineAcademy.com and use the code in our show notes for a special discount. Welcome wine enthusiasts and job seekers. I'm your host, Karen Wetzel, and Wine, Work, and Passion is the podcast where we inspire you to make a career out of your passion for wine. Have you ever thought about becoming a wine sales rep or wondered what it would be like to work for a wine distributor? Well, then today's show is just for you. My guest is Pat O'Sullivan, the Chief Sales Officer at Heidelberg Distributing in Ohio and Kentucky. Pat's a wine industry veteran with over 35 years of experience in sales and management. And in this interview, he'll peel back the layers within the wine distribution system and reveal tons of job opportunities. I have to say, this might be one of my favorite episodes. As always, be sure and stay tuned until the end when Pat will offer specific key action items to help you land a sales job with a distributor in your market. And since this is where I got my start in the wine industry, I'll offer some insights as well. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I had recording. Hey, Pat, thanks for joining me today. How you doing? Awesome, Karen. It's great to see you. It's been a while, but thanks for having me on today. I'm excited. Yeah, thanks for being a willing victim. (laughs) Um, So to get us started, can you just tell our audience who you are and what you do in the wine industry? Yes. Pat O'Sullivan, been in the industry for 37 years. I am the chief sales officer for Heidelberg, and uh, we have a distributorship in Ohio and Kentucky. Great. Well, thanks. It's, it is great to reconnect with you. Um, so glad to have you here. Um, and I think it might be good for us to start off by giving them a little of our history together because it's quite extensive. So, I'll sort of give the Reader's Digest version, feel free to jump in. Uh, But uh, so Pat and I have worked together um, many, many times over the years, worked together and even worked against each other for a little while. (laughs) So we started off uh, at a company called Wine Distributors. Pat was a sales manager and I was hired on as a sales rep, my very first official job in the wine industry, short other than restaurant work that I had done, you know, serving and bartending. And this was in Ohio. And Pat was really helpful in helping me get my feet on the ground and honing my skills and getting my start in the wine industry. And And then uh, Pat and I both left that company and ultimately became friendly competitors working for two different distributors in the same market. But we were pretty friendly about it for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually I left and went to work for a large supplier and Pat left his company and went to work for Heidelberg. Or maybe I guess you were still, I guess you moved to Heidelberg to begin with. So now you're at Heidelberg. I'm with a with a, a supplier and felt very lucky that Heidelberg carried all of my products. So now... Pat and I are working together again on the same team with the same goal of moving sales forward. So it was nice to be back together. And, you know, I'm really grateful to you, Pat, for, you know, you've supported me, including today. You've supported me for 35 of those 37 years in my career. And I'm very grateful to you for that. So thank you for all of it. 
Well, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. And I remember hiring you back when, and I said, this girl has the talent that it takes to be successful. And boy, was I right. Sometimes I look like a genius 35 years later, (laughs) because you are very talented and you have a great reputation in this industry. So congratulations. Well, thanks, Pat. Boy, coming from you, I'll take that as high praise. (laughs) So let's get to you. So enough about us, but let's get to you. So let's tell the audience about your your background, kind of how you got started in the wine industry. Give us some insights, you know, college and some of your early roles. Sure. I I started in the grocery business at the age of 15, and slowly worked my way up to be a manager in a grocery store. And I was in charge of all wine and all, all the whole entire store, but I took an affinity to wine. And I think I took that affinity because the back in the day, the, the wine sales people were highly commissioned and it was all about them. And um, I probably had the worst experience with wine salespeople for about four years and realized I wanted to get into consumer products And if I was going to do it, it would be somebody with a good portfolio. I even thought about, I interviewed at uh, Campbell's, Procter & Gamble, probably the two most prestigious companies back then in the consumer product. And I realized that with this poor salesmanship that I had exposure to it as a grocery store manager, that I said, I could do this better than all of these people and actually be be more of a consumer or a customer friendly sales pro versus what I needed to be selling on the street. Let me interrupt you there really quick. Can you give me an, you say, you know, you had experiences with, you know, sales reps that weren't very good. Can you give us an example of what, what you didn't like about the, so you're talking about sales reps that were calling on you to get you to sell their products, right? Yes. In the store. So can you give us an example or two of, what was a turnoff? What what frustrated you about that? Um, I called it a shell game back then because um, they were told to go out and execute a goal against, you know, for a supplier. And so they would say, you know, buy 20 and um, it sells really good. And it wasn't fact based. It was, you know, the guy down the street is selling it. And, and a month later, I would see I would buy 20 cases and I saw 19 and there was no exit strategy. There was they weren't selling to make me money. They were selling to make them money. Right. And I realized that after about a year and I, and I said to myself, I started asking questions like, you know, what's, what's the consumer doing? Um, where are they going? And um, nobody could ever answer a question. So I said, when I get into this industry, I'm actually going to help customers, my customers, the retailers make money. And that's how I built my reputation in the is- industry. Right. I always yeah. back my product. And those are lessons you taught me and the rest of our sales team as well. It's It has to be a mutual relationship between a sales rep and a buyer mm-hmm. or, you know, it can't be one-sided, it's, you know, and gone are the days of, hey, I got to hit a goal. Can you buy a couple? You know, those those days are gone and they have to be gone. They, that's not really effective sell, selling. Yeah. The best was I need a favor. Right, right. Yeah. And I always said, you know, I don't want to sell you a case of wine. I mean, I want to sell you a case of wine today, but my my goal isn't to sell you this case of wine. My mm-hmm. goal is to build the business on this case of wine so that all of us are making money and everybody's profiting from it. Because selling just a case of wine and walking away is not really very helpful. Mm-hmm. So very good. Okay. So 
Um, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you, but I, I just wanted to give the audience an example of, you know, maybe what not to do or what it used to be like back in the day anyway. Exactly. And and as you know, this is a very relationship business. As most sales positions, whether you, it doesn't matter what you're selling, it's a relationship industry. And that relationship, if you if you build it, you'll be very successful. Right, right. So you decided to get into, you know, dip your toe in, in the water, which I think is great. Mm-hmm. And so what, what was your first job in the wine industry? I interviewed, I, I interviewed for an opening at Rutman Wine, which turned into wine distributors. And they, they were very desperate. So they hired me on the spot. And, um, and I worked my way up into a management position within six months. And again, the quality of salesmanship back then, and I'm talking 35 years ago for some young folks, that seems like an eternity. But um, back then, it was, it was it was not a good reputation. And so there was a lot of people coming and going. So I moved up into management very quickly. And I started training and developing people, not to just go out and sell what they had to sell as a goal, but really be a consultative salesperson. And so... Um, I started as a DM. I, I did everything from on-premise to off-premise to chain retail and literally wanted to expose myself to every piece of the industry. And, um, and then Heidelberg came into Cleveland, Ohio. It was really one of their last major markets where they wanted to come in and they uh, bought a company that I actually worked for, North Coast Wine. And six months into, the, into Cleveland, they uh, called me up and said, would you come over and run our company? And uh, at the time, it was 24 people, $28, 29000000 million. And uh, today, we have almost 100 sales pros in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, doing almost $150 million. So, But they're covering the whole state in many, do, in some we cases. We do cover the whole state, as well as Kentucky, as right. well as Kentucky. Right. Yeah. You know, and just to give the audience a little perspective on who Heidelberg is, you know, I think most people have heard of Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits or mm-hmm. RNDC. You know, those are the two big ones. But if you look up the top distributors in the nation, Heidelberg is, I don't know, last time I looked, it was like number five or something. I mean, it was, it was a big distributor. Correct. Yeah. We and, are. And, you know, up until maybe recently, family owned. I mean, it's still all run by the same people, all managed by the same people. Um, that's a pretty big accomplishment when you only cover two markets. That's huge. It is. And we've been very successful with the family's reputation and our management's reputation of building a strong portfolio across everything, beer, wine, spirits, non-alcoholic. Um, we represent nine out of the top 10 wine suppliers. Our, we're a top five, top seven beer wholesaler. So we're Anheuser-Busch in two markets. The easy thing I tell people this for me to say is, what don't we sell? So we right. don't sell Miller Coors in Ohio. Um, we represent everyone else somewhere in Ohio and Kentucky. And we don't sell uh, Deutsch. We have 19 out of the top 20 wine brands. We have a 75 share of the wine business. People hug us when we walk in. <laughs> Owners of these companies' businesses, whether it's a restaurant or a small fine wine shop, they hug us because in most cases, we're 70%, 80% of their business. Wow. And so we're That's really amazing. important to them. So it's been fun to watch a company uh, build into a top five wholesaler in the U.S. in only two markets. Yeah, that's great. And and it's a good example 
for those listening that that don't live in Ohio or Kentucky, but live you know around the country, don't live in Napa, don't live in Sonoma. This is a good example of the t- kinds of companies and jobs there are in the U.S. that have lots of job openings. And so people think, well, I can't work in the wine industry. I live in Cleveland, Ohio. Well, that's where I started in the wine industry. Mm-hmm. And, and I moved to Napa and they're like, you got started in Cleveland? I'm like, yeah, it was a big deal. <laughs> so there, there is so much opportunity around the country, especially from a distributor sam- standpoint. If your state, if, if there's anyone in your state selling wine, it has to go through a distributor. So those make some, can make for some really good opportunities. Um, I want uh, I want to take a minute, if you don't mind, I want to explain briefly to the audience about the three-tier system and where the distributor fits in, because not everybody really understands this. So the three-tier system is a, a product of uh, the end of prohibition. At the end of prohibition, uh, the government wanted to tax alcohol. And so basically they set up this three-tier system and the distributor was in the middle. And they were originally set up to collect, to sell the wine to the retailers and collect taxes on it. Um, it's of course changed a lot except for the tax part, but it's, it's continued to evolve. But basically the three tiers are this, you have a producer could be a single winery like a Hess Persons or a J Lore, um, or it could be a conglomerate like, you know, you've mentioned Deutsch or Constellation or Gallo for that matter, or Treasury. A lot of them, you know, you have Terlato, right? You have Terlato and Cobrand. So any of those guys, you know, they own or at least own the rights to market multiple brands. And so it could be a big supplier with lots of brands they represent and produce or a single one. But anyway, the supplier basically makes the product and then sells that product to the distributor, which would be a Heidelberg or Southern or whoever. Mm -hmm. And then Heidelberg or the other distributors would then in turn call on what we would call a retailer. A retailer isn't necessarily a retail store. It could be a retailer, could be a restaurant, could be um, a hotel, a theater, anybody who's going to in turn sell to the consumer, we would refer to as a retailer. And within the world of that category, uh, Pat, a minute ago, you mentioned on-premise and off-premise. So that's divided into two categories. On-premise is where the distributor sells to an account that is going to serve that product to the consumer on their premises, like a restaurant. Off-premise is where that retailer is going to sell the wine or product to that consumer and they're going to take it away and enjoy it somewhere else, at home, on a boat, whatever. So that's how that fits in. Ultimately, that retailer will sell it to the consumer, but in the three-tier system, the consumer's not really part of that package. So it's supplier to re- to distributor, distributor to retailer. That's basically, mm-hmm. and I, it can be confusing for people. And there's, you know, the cool thing is there are jobs at every level of the three-tier system. So, and the three-tier system is in every state. So there's always opportunities there. I like to just kind of clear that up. So, okay, let's get back to you and where, so Heidelberg's the distributor. We mentioned that. So as the chief sales officer, I mean, you know, I come from sales. I always say you could take the girl out of sales, but you can't take the sales out of the girl. And, you know, this is a topic very near and dear to my heart. So give us a peek behind the curtain. Tell us about your role. And then let's talk about your sales teams and the differences. That could take a while, Karen. That's okay. <laughs> but, um, 
I always tell people I have the best job of anyone I know in the industry because, A, we have a very diverse portfolio, very diverse. You could be selling beer one day, wine another day, and spirits another day, and now we've added non-alcoholics, which is becoming a very big segment for wholesalers around the country. But um, I'm lucky I have over a dozen VPs that literally touch every piece of our business. So as we've built our model to cover, because we do have a large portfolio, I have one person that's a conduit for every piece of business. So when you think of on-premise, and there's 10,000 what we call on-premise accounts in Ohio, I have one person that touches that and manages it for all of our suppliers. I have a chain person, VP of chains, that manages all the chains. We have over 130 chains, national chains, that do business in Ohio. Are you talking about retail or restaurant chains or both? Retail chain. Retail chain. And then we have an on-premise chain. So if Applebee's or you know uh, anybody else comes into Ohio, I have one person that they can contact for pricing, product information, all of that. So that you know you have to make one touch points for customers. Right. And whether it's a chain buyer that's major chain like Costco, they don't want to be dealing with three or four or five different people from a wholesaler. And so we try and make it easy, A, because we have so many suppliers. So there's a lot of programming that goes on, whether it's on-premise chain, retail chain. Uh, we get a program. We just got a program at uh, Applebee's. And so we need 16 Applebee's to have a certain product. So I have one person that can make that happen. And so that's the cool thing about where I sit. I get to represent fine wine. One day I could be out selling a $300 Cabernet to a restaurateur uh, with one of our sales pros. And the next day I could be selling a 30 case cupcake display with one of our sales pros. So um, diverse portfolio. Cupcake vodka. Yeah. Cupcake vodka. Uh, That's an old one. Yeah. But um, so that's where, where I sit. That's, I work a lot with suppliers, as you can imagine. Suppliers coming in, we have nine buildings and no one wants to deal with nine buildings and nine different sales managers and nine different P&Ls. So uh, we kind of make it the one touch contact. And so we could literally connect one supplier to nine buildings with programs, goals, pricing, which is really important to have the same pricing in all buildings. So we're really trying to make it easier for the supplier, and um, and we have. That's one of the reasons our supplier relations are so strong. Boy, I'm, I'm thinking back to when I used to call on distributors, and I was lucky enough to call on Heidelberg, but I had other distributors in other states because I covered four states. Boy, that sound that streamlining just sounds. It sounds. It seems so logical, but not easy to put together. But once it's put together. It's great. So so you're sort of, I think of you like the conductor of the orchestra and you've got the string section and the horn section and the percussion section and you mm-hmm. sort of orchestrate. So they're all working together, but also functioning in their role separately. Is that a good analogy? A great analogy. It, it really is because- good. Again, we started around six years ago realizing where we wanted to be in six years. And literally our last last oh, year ago, January, we hired, promoted three more VPs. So an on-premise, on-premise chain. And uh, we just went into C-Store big time. C-Store is growing, which when you think of C-Store, 
it's speedways, it's the circle K's, it's the small stores where typically gas stations where you can walk yeah. in. Convenience stores, basically. Convenience stores. Yeah. And, um, and so we put someone in charge of that business because that business is growing 20% where retail chain is, is really slowing down now that people are not filling their pantries. But, but yeah, that's a good analogy. We have one person that if you called me and said, I, I do this type of business in Ohio, I can connect you to one person that literally will do everything for you. That's awesome. That's great. And so, so then when you get to these different segments, like we say, like the string section or within those worlds, there are various teams that are assigned, you know, there's teams that just call on restaurants, I'm assuming, right? Mm -hmm. And teams that just call on retailers. So depending on a person's love, where their interest lies, where their level of wine knowledge lies, where the openings are, where the need is for Heidelberg, those, you know, those are, you know, various types of jobs. Um, with with those two categories, restaurant, say on-premise, meaning restaurants and off-premise, meaning retailer, which of those two requ- would require or would be more important to have wine credentials like a WSET or, you know, wine courses under their belt, or would they both be equal? I would say that it's equal. And typically when people have been in the restaurant industry, they have the, they have the same experience I had. They have sales professionals in this industry that come in and may not, may not be helping them and or their team get educated and they may not be the best at the profession. So we hire a lot of ex, what I would call ex restaurant people mm-hmm. uh, that come in and realize I've had a bad experience and I can do this better. That's how I came out. I was a buyer for a restaurant. That's how I got into the industry mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And so we tend to pigeonhole people. If you're in the restaurant business, we'll put you in on premise. And if you were in the retail business as a grocery store like me, uh, we'll put you in the retail side of the business. But the one thing we've realized in the last six, seven years that you have to wear multiple hats and you have to be very good at it. So when you come in, we teach you retail. If you're focused on on on-premise and if you're focused in retail, we will show you and teach you how to sell on-premise because there's really two different, what I would call sales presentations when you're working retail and and on-premise. You know, the retailer, when you look at the 80-20 rule, 20% of the SKUs, the products in their store, produce 80% of their volume. So obviously, Gallo is the number one top supplier for wine, and then you've got three or four more behind them. And so when you get into the restaurant side, it's much more diverse, right? It's more food and wine pairing, not necessarily being sold on a specific SKU that was on TV. You see Kim Crawford on TV, you go into the retail store. That may not be the occurrence when you sit down at a fine dining restaurant, right? right? You may want something suggested to you by a by a server, and that's where we come in. We specialize in training and education on that side. But the credentials are really important. Um, selling on-premise to me is always a little more fun because it's harder, um, because you're not one of 500 Chardonnays on a shelf. You want to be that one Chardonnay in a restaurant. Yep. And if you know the consumers come in and they just buy your Chardonnay, that turns into a lot of volume. But I, I would say never pigeonhole yourself into one segment, because if you want to be successful in this business, you really have to wear multiple hats. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And and I was, you know, back in, in the day, we were given routes that were both on and off premise, a mix. So mm-hmm. we sort of had to learn both sides. And it, as time evolved and, you know, and you and I came up through the ranks, um, then it started becoming more separate. But even even there, you know, I was an on-premise sales manager for a long time. Then I went to off-premise, did retail shelf sets, and then back to on-premise and back and forth. So it really, to have a lot, to have longevity in the industry, I think it's really important to learn all of those, um, all those aspects. Now, within your teams, your on-premise teams, your off-premise teams, do you separate, do you have separate teams that manage certain parts of your portfolio or certain suppliers per se? Do you guys do that? I, mean, I can't remember. We have where the VPs come in. I have a VP that will manage a specific supplier. Okay. So when it comes to Gallo for us, I have one conduit for them to connect to. And then if it's on-premise Gallo, I have one person that runs on-premise who and works do those with those people them. have sales teams underneath them that do. focus just on those? Okay. Yes. So and you've got multiple teams focusing on multiple suppliers. On different yes. Suppliers. And when you get to larger markets like Columbus, we'll have a sales on-premise team of 10 people and a retail team of around 60. And that's about where the business fluctuates. On-premise is about 20% of our total and retail is around 80. But when you get out to different areas, you can't send someone down to an area 50 miles south of Columbus downtown. You know, that that person's going to wear a few hats. They'll call on restaurants, they'll call on C-stores, they'll call on large chain retailers. But when it comes to like Jeff Ruby's and Marriott's, we have a on-premise trained sales pro calling on them. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's good. I have to say, just reminiscing about back in the day, mm-hmm. it was fun to have a mix in your in your in your account roster because you got sort of the best of both worlds. You got a little relief from some of the retail, but it makes so much more sense when you can really become a pro at your side of the book and. Again, but always with the eye on learning, you know, learning more and moving, moving, you know, past mm-hmm. that. So we've talked about, you know, the sales rep teams that are retail or restaurant focused. And then within that, they could focus on a certain supplier or maybe a couple of different suppliers in, in, in their assigned portfolio within your book. Um, you mentioned, you've mentioned key account managers. So those are, you know, sometimes people who are calling on the national accounts, like you said, Marriott's or a Jeff Ruby's, which is a regional restaurant chain in your market. Um, do you also have key account managers, not necessarily for the national chains, but just for the the bigger, more important independent? Is that do you offer that as well, or do you have a team for that? We do. We have actually eighteen key account managers in Ohio, which is a lot. Uh, obviously, when you touch beer and wine and spirits, you have we have a specialist of beer that will call on a regional chain for just beer, and then we have a educated sales uh, manager that will call on for for wine, and one that will call it on for spirits. So, uh, Giant Eagle, which is a very large chain for us out of Pittsburgh, we have one person that calls on their beer buyer selling beer, one for the wine buyer selling wine, and one for the spirits selling spirits. And so, you know, you have to specialize. Right. The beer uh, the beer buyer wants to talk about beer only and the wine buyer wants to talk about wine only. And so we do specialize uh, for, for the uh, independent, what we would call regional chains. 
And, and even when you get to national Kroger, which is home to Ohio, I have one person that Kroger can call for just about everything. Mm-hmm. So literally, if you're doing business in Ohio and you're a major chain, regional chain or small chain, you have one person connected to your business. Okay. And in some instances, uh, we would we would there's one buyer for beer, wine and spirits and quite a few small independents. And we have one person calling on them where we have multiple buyers. We have multiple people calling on them. But it's a very rewarding job, as you could imagine, Karen, because, yeah. you know, Giant Eagle has 100 stores. And so when you get a placement on a on a beer for the holidays, it goes into 100 stores. If you get a display program, uh, it goes into 100 stores. So, you're you know, you're dealing with that gatekeeper that can make you look really good. And that you can make that gatekeeper a lot of money, a lot of profit, and a lot of revenue. So yeah. it's every piece of this business, uh, whether you're calling on chains or anything else, is rewarding as hell because um, you could certainly make an impact in a customer's revenue, profitability, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think my favorite role within the distributor network was when I was with ha- the Hammer Company, which morphed eventually into Glazers. And I was calling on, um, well, I, I did retail chains for a while, calling on Giant Eagle and, and all of that. And then they moved me back to on-premise and I was calling on the on-premise chains like the Jeff Rubies of the world. And I just love doing it, it for, the, for the reasons that you cite, you know, a retail shelf could have 300 Chardonnays on it, but a wine list only has five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a lot harder to get your product in, but when you do it, it's very rewarding. And just building those relationships, coming up with programming, you know, and, and I think anybody listening, you know, they're, what, what we're trying to show here is, you know, you, you start off your life as a sales rep, you pick up a job, you get lucky, you get hired as a sales rep on or off premise, but it, that's not the end of the road. That's the beginning of the journey, right? You just, you get in and you work like hell and you work hard at learning and you pay attention to the, what's going on in the rest of the company and things start, I was, things happen. I, I was in the, in the distributor network for 18 years and I think I moved up every three years. I had some little mini, just little bump, little promotion, little more responsibility. So, you know, I, I get very excited about this because I've always told my audience that working in the wine industry, it's not just a career, it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I think the distributor network is such a great place to be because it's endless opportunities. You can work your whole career as you have within the distributor network and be very prosperous. You don't have to, the next level doesn't have to be to go to a supplier. It There's, there's plenty of opportunity within um, a particular distributor, like, you know, especially larger ones like, like Heidelberg. Um, I, so we just talked about, you know, getting in the door, let's say, so what, a, what do you look for in a, an entry level sales rep? What kind of experiences should they bring? What kind of person should they be? Can you give us a little, in, a little insight into that? Yes. I mean, obviously when you're in sales, you've got to have good communication skills, uh, a good personality, um, and, and excitable uh, to the point where you you know you can be excited about walking into into an account and and helping people make revenue and and in a lot of cases we are dealing with owners whose name is actually on the building you know yeah. it's not always a chain like Giant Eagle or Kroger 
And when you build those relationships with people, uh, they tend to bring you along. And so when, when we're hiring somebody or interviewing somebody, it's all about their attitude, communication skills, and, and what I would call a salesmanship. And you typically learn that uh, from the get-go on a first interview, whether they do have salesmanship. Right. And if they're going to ask you for the order, like, when can I start, right? Can I right. start tomorrow? Um, so yeah. it's asking sell yourself. That. If you can yeah. sell yourself, you can sell wine. <laughs> yes, you can. And and this is such a rewarding career that, you know, when you mentioned some of the things that are so rewarding, this is a great business to be in. And I'm, I've been sold on being a distributor because I get bored easy. And I always said, if I went to a supplier and I had a specific portfolio that I had to sell, I'm like, I would get bored selling, you know, 10 brands or five brands or just on-premise brands or retail. So um, the the fun part about being a distributor is there's no two days that are alike. None. I I don't think I've ever had two days alike in a week in my life. And that's what makes this industry so much fun. And uh, plus you can drink all day and no one's yelling at you. (laughs) And everyone's always happy to see you. Well, we say that. It's not always true. (laughs) You know, and and the fun thing about beer, wine, and spirits is in Ohio, there's a minimum margin that retailers have to make, and and um, we're a very profitable piece of their business from a restaurant or retailer standpoint, where they make more money on wine, beer, spirits on and off premise than they do in most other categories. Right. We're typically the most profitable category from a, a gross profit margin standpoint. So when we do walk in the door. Uh, they love us and hug us and, and yeah. just want us to sell them more, which is kind of cool in this business. Yeah. And that's a very, it's very, you know, I, having sold mul- over multiple states where they don't all have set pricing, having set pricing for some people seems like, oh, I can't negotiate. I can't give them deals. That is in a way the beauty of it because it's a level playing field for everyone selling. Mm-hmm. Nobody can do it. So nobody does it theoretically. And but you have to earn the business your, on your own merit, on your own hard work, your service, your ability to connect with that customer, what you bring to the table. So it does take, I think, a stronger degree of salesmanship when you can't offer one case on 10. It's just, here's the price, take it or leave it. You have to sell yourself. And that, I think, for me was, I was glad we couldn't negotiate price. I was really happy about that because I've worked states where you can, and it's, it's not the same. It's it's just not the same. I want to go back to entry level positions real quick. We talked about, you know, what do you look for in a rep? Do you at Heidelberg have specific qualifications that you're looking for? In other words, do they have to have college? Do they have to have prior sales experience? Do they have to have specific wine knowledge? Or are you of the mindset, we'd rather get them in a little green and teach them our way. Yes. The last point is, is obviously there's not much turnover in our industry at all. Not at all. Because when you come into it, you typically love it and you grow inside of it. And so we don't get competitors that come in to work for us very rarely, nor do we lose people to competitors. And so really the entry-level position is really about their interest in going out and being successful in sales. Mm-hmm. And then we could train anybody, anything. I, I don't, uh, you know, we have some beer specific people and they're afraid or intimidated about wine or vice versa. Wine people right. intimidated about, you know, selling craft beer. 
And um, so we really want to mold these people and train and educate. And we have a very strict onboarding program when you come to work for us. And we will sometimes estimate what level of education you're at through, you know, the interview process. And if we think you're really green and it's like, you know, you, you had in high school, you had English 101, then 102 and 103, and you progress through life. That's how we start wine, wine 101, wine 102, wine 103. So when you get to a certain level, then you get uh, accredited and we move you into the next level. We love building that education process for our team, whether it's beer, wine, or spirits. And this is your own training program within Heidelberg? It is. Okay. And so if I came to you uh, without any sales experience, but I love wine, I want to sell to restaurants, would something like a WSET credential get your attention? Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean that credential right there. And you've never sold wine. Although I will tell you this, I, I hired somebody quite a few years ago who was a chef who made wine, who, who was certified and could never ask a customer for an order. Right. He could tell them everything that was awesome about it, but never said, can I ship you a case tomorrow? And he wasn't very successful. So um, obviously you've got to have all of those things put together. Yeah. And that's a really, really good point. And you know, we coming up through the years, I've hired a lot of people as you have, and it's not enough to just have wine education. You have to have the fire in your belly. You have to be willing to knock on doors, meet people you've never met before, present. You have to have decent presentation skills, and you have to have some confidence to say, you know, I've shown you this wine. You said you liked it. Can I send you a case or can I put it on your wine list or can I let's make room on the shelf for it? Whatever it is, you you do have to be able to get there. And I think that's what's scary to people. But I just want to say having no sales experience, except for just it was kind of inherent in me, I guess. Um, when you do all the stuff right leading up to that moment when you need to sort of pull the trigger on the sale, if you do it all right, the sale just happens. It's not it's not as you know, we we go through sales training throughout the years of distributors. You know, how many did we all go through, Pat? And they give you this sort of script, you know, open body, proof, and close, like this formula to get to the closing part. It's really not that rigid. If you're doing it all right, the heads are already nodding yes. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, okay, great. I'm glad you like it. You know, let's get the product in here. And it 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 is it becomes very natural. So I don't want to scare people away right. to say for people to say, oh, I have to be this hardcore, you know, used car salesman. It's not like that at all. It, it's very organic when you're good at it. And so, you know, you just, you got to have a few of those skills. Tell me a little bit about, I wrote an article, I, I do a, a wine industry career series blog for the Nap Valley Wine Academy as well. And one of the articles I wrote was the digital pivot within the world of wine sales. In other words, you know, used to be back when, I was coming up and you were my boss <laughs> telling me, you know, you have to see every account every single week, make sure they're there, make sure you see them be physically present. And I know today the buyer is changing. The buyer, the buyer's young. They're used to using technology. They don't necessarily want, you know, a couple of different sales reps calling on them every day. Do you notice a digital shift where emailing and texting is acceptable as long as you don't lose that physical connection? Are you finding that at all? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, especially during the pandemic, right? We have learned a yeah. lot of new habits and that is one of them. The communication is typically texting, email, and 
we've really gotten into e-commerce. We promoted a a person into VP of Mm e-commerce, working in that e-commerce space. But I think it's really important to learn that communication between either email or text still has to be a human contact, whether it's a phone call, right, or whether it's a Zoom. I've had Zooms with customers where I've literally put up a two-page deck and just walked them through that and said, look, I miss seeing your face. And they literally appreciate the fact that, wow, you're really interested in my business. Right. And, and you know, you showed me a couple of products that I hadn't seen before. I'm excited about them. And because people get bored, I was in a restaurant two nights ago and I looked at the wine list and it hasn't changed in four years. Well, the consumer today is not the same consumer that was here four years ago, nor is the cuisine in this restaurant. And I was just disappointed that they, the, the owner of the company, it's just he owns one restaurant, has not taken the initiative to move his customers into other products. Right. And those are the things that whether if you're not seeing someone live, you could certainly fall into a habit of, of never changing anything. But you need that human touch and Zoom seems to be the new normal. But how often do you Zoom a customer, right? Um, Not very often. So I think we've learned they appreciate it. And actually, you know, one or two Zooms a year with somebody that's in that uh, small LT, low traffic retailer is is a benefit. But they are moving into a different direction. Yeah. Well, just think about our personal lives. I don't call anybody anymore. I just FaceTime them. I just, unless they have an Android, because I can't FaceTime on an Android, but I just, I never, and for work, you know, when you and I met to sort of set this up and kind of plan it, we didn't just meet on the phone. We could have, but we met on Zoom. It, it's just so much more personal. And uh, yeah, I think there is some some shift, but you do have to be creative to keep yourself in front of that buyer and to keep things moving. I, I remember I, you know, back way back when, and I was calling on this one account and I owned, I owned the entire wine list. It was Tommy's and Rocky river. And I was working, who was I working for at the time? I think I was still with wine D and you had gone on to Heidelberg and one, and there was a gal from Heidelberg, Tracy, I can't remember her last name. Anyway, she used to, yes, she used to go in that account every single week. She had not one product and she would go every single week. Mm-hmm. and. One day I went in and I went to take my order and I think the wine cooler, this is how long ago it was, wine cooler. My wine cooler business had switched to Seagram's. Mm-hmm. I was Bartles and, and you guys were Seagram's. And I, I said to the owner, I'm like, what the heck? Like we were buddies. <laughs> she says, Karen, I had to give this girl something. She comes in every single week. So I gave her that because it was the smallest business you did. And little by little, she ate my lunch. <laughs> And, you know, so, so that person, it's just an example of how that personal and, you know, she didn't go in and beat the buyer up and say, why won't you? She just went in and said, just checking, just checking things change. And Mm -hmm. I conversely, you know, had that same success in the other direction. Many, I, you know, I had one account, all I sold them was cooking wine forever. And then one day I walked in and they said, oh, my sales rep at vintage left. I'll give you all the business only because I was there every week. So, you know. Good examples of how you have to be tenacious and some things you can't do digitally as as much. It is. And it's a relationship business. And that's how you build them by seeing people live and in person. Right. Quick question, sort of not really about sales, but kind of. So you were talking about um, uh, you're going into Mm non-alcoholics. 
Are you heading towards CBD ever? In Ohio, that's an interesting topic. I don't think in the next five to 10 years, CBD is going to be as relevant as people think it is going to be. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing that today um, because people thought we would already be into it. You're talking about um, CBD. I'm talking about CBD beverages. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the, there's a couple people dipping their toe in that stuff this in Ohio, and they have not been successful. Mm-hmm. I don't think we will get into it. We have a couple of supplier partners that are, again, dipping their toe into it, making a couple of products, uh, non-alcoholic products. Right. Um, we're, we're looking at it. We don't think the consumer's there for it. We really don't. Yeah. And what about THC? Ohio, are you fully no. legal? No, you're not. You're only medical anyway, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be it's a going to change anytime soon. And I think it's a, it's a challenge to get the product to taste good. <laughs> That's it really is. Yes. Not, not from my own personal experience. <laughs> but the, yeah, the non-alcoholic business has been very, it's, it's, we're, we're up a hundred percent on what we think is a very large base. Yeah. And um, you know, the consumer, wants flavor. They want non-alcoholic or low alcohol. Yeah. And do. so you have to play in every, you know, piece of the business where the consumer's going. And soda is dying. So they're moving somewhere. And mm-hmm. it, so that's good. Very good. Well, you know, we've covered so many things and I, and I think it's great because I, I hope that we've given the audience some idea of the scope of job opportunities within a, a large distributor. And it's, you know, very, I'm very passionate about it as, as you are as well. So um, I just want to kind of wrap things up here. You know, I always do this. I, I warned you. So can you give our audience, people listening, saying, you know, maybe I want to go into sales for a distributor in my state or in Ohio or wherever. Can you give them a couple of things they can do right now to better their chances? Yes. Apply. Keep applying. I would get connected to the community. There's always those fine wine shops. We have a couple of dozen in Ohio. A, a lot of those people are looking for people to come in and they're willing to educate them on categories in the wine industry from day one. So I think keeping the application process, educate yourself. You know, you and I both got into this business with zero wine experience and zero wine knowledge. I mean, I, I, I don't think I ever drank a glass of wine up until I was a year away from getting into, into this industry. So educating yourself is really important and no one's going to take more interest in your education than you. So everything you put into it is what you'll get out of it. And you'll, you'll see it. The growth in this industry will be dependent on how far your education goes. That's how far you can go. Mm-hmm. Um, read books, learn products, get involved with suppliers if you get into this industry. And the more you learn from suppliers, the more you're going to be able to teach your customers and retailers. Yep. And then once you get in this business to do tastings, um, wine dinners, beer dinners, seminars, I learn something new probably each and every day in this industry. And the more I spend time with people, even on our team, I learn more, some, uh, learn something every day. Right. It is one of the best consumer product industries you can get into. Yeah, no, I, I totally a- agree. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to add a couple to uh, to add to some of the things you said, you know, sure. you're talking about applying, you know, I always tell my, my coaching clients, my career 
career coaching clients, don't ever let a job description stand in the way of you applying for a job you want. You may not check all the boxes on that on that job description, but apply for it anyway. You have other skills that could augment that. So don't be afraid to apply. Even if you aren't sure you're qualified, let them decide that. You don't decide that for yourself. You go after the job you you want. Also, you know, if you're trying and you're not getting anywhere, if you want a job at a distributor, get a job at a retailer. I have a mm-hmm. I have a girl who volunteered at a retail retailer just to meet sales reps and she ended up getting a job in New York City selling wine. Wow. So, and she volunteered for like 2 months, met every sales rep, kept saying I want in, I want in and just built that relationship. So, or get a job in a restaurant, you know, and that gives you like you say, you hire for the on-premise teams, you often hire out of the restaurant pool. So very important if you if you can to get that uh, kind of thing. Educating yourself is great. I am going to throw in a little shameless plug for the Napa Valley Wine Academy. We don't just do W. First of all, we're online worldwide, so you don't have to be in, in Napa. We are the Napa Valley Wine Academy, but we're everywhere. We don't just do WSET. Well, we do WSET. We're, I don't know if you even know this, Pat. We are the largest WSET provider in the world. Larger wow. than, except, except for London. London is the only WSET provider, and they own it, <laughs> than we are in the whole world. And we actually provide WSET for over 35% of American WSET students. That's how wow. huge we are. Little tiny school with like 10 educators. <laughs> That's us. So well, I'll throw a plug in for us. We have uh, Mary Horn, who is our VP of Fine Wine Education, and she actually conducts those tests for our team. And Excellent. and as you know, they're fairly expensive yes, they um, are. to go through that rigorous training. And so she does that for anybody that volunteers is a Heidelberg employee. Doesn't matter if you're an admin or an anything. Uh-huh. Uh, we will train you and put you through that training process. Oh, and that's great. Graduate you. And, you know, it's it's pretty awesome to see that. Uh, we That's don't have great. to go very far. Mary works for us and she's one, she is the best in the business. Trust me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't know her personally, but I, I know her by, by reputation. Yep. And, um, and then of course there's other programs aside from, obviously if you go to work for Heidelberg, you've got a great training program, but if you're looking for that in, you know, we also do like wine one ones and up food and wine pairing and all kinds of other education. So Large companies are providing their own WSET courses, and I think that that's great. It gets more people certified, which is mm-hmm. you know great, great for your current career. Also, great resume builders. Also, you mentioned suppliers using the supplier. I always, I you know, I knew a lot of sales reps that dreaded having to work with a supplier. Oh, I got to work with this guy, or I got to work with this supplier, and they're so hard. That I loved it because let them in, let them do my job for me, let them do the talking, let me learn from them so I can yep. do the talking to the next time. So think of suppliers, you know, as your friend. I think that's another. They are. They make you a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And and what you can learn in one or two accounts or presentations, you can take broadly to every account you have. It's yeah. yeah. Raise your well, hand if you're in this industry. Raise your hand and and ask to work with suppliers. Yeah. Plus, if you're working for a distributor and you're aspiring to work for a supplier, making friends with those guys is a good idea. <laughs> it really helps. <laughs> this. Oh, well, Pat, I just, this has been great. We went a little long and I don't care. I think everyone's going to be interested in, in the conversation. Um, it's so good to reconnect. I have had so much fun going back into my distributor life in my head mm-hmm. and what a what great fun we had, what great success we both had together and separately. We're lucky. 
we are very blessed. Yes. Very blessed, Karen. Yeah. So. Well, and I'm blessed to have had you for a friend. You've been in the industry 37 years. I think I'm a year behind you, and I've known you the whole time. <laughs> so I feel very blessed to to have you in in my my work life and as my personal friend as well. It's been great. So well, thank you so here. much. Well, I appreciate you sharing your expertise and your knowledge and your passion more than anything uh, with our audience today, and you know, really helping them pursue their dreams like we had when we decided, hey, this wine thing sounds fun. Let's give it a try. And here we are 35 years later, still going. Yes. Still having fun. Yep. You know, we realize, at least I do, I've been doing it so long. Most of, I would say all of my friends are restaurant people or retailers that I've worked with through the years. And they're still my friends. Um, even when they leave the industry, um, it's, it's, it's very rewarding. It yeah. is truly rewarding. And uh, again, we're blessed. So Karen, it's great to see you. And and uh, I'm so proud of what you've been able to do uh, in uh, your career. Truly, truly cool to watch. Well, thanks, Pat. And right back at you. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time I'm in Cleveland. Can't wait. Thanks to all of you for joining, and I hope today's show has inspired you to make a career out of your passion for wine. If you'd like to have a one-on-one -on -one career coaching session with me, just use the link in the show notes for more information or to schedule an appointment. This podcast is all about helping you follow your dreams, so feel free to send us your suggestions for guests or topics through our email link that's listed in the show notes. And it means an awful lot when you share us with friends or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode.